This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're, 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 you're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. That's right, everybody. Nick Wilson, Spencer German, live, the inaugural edition of the Sons of the Shoe podcast. And we start, Spencer, by celebrating a 20-12 to 12 win Buckeyes defeat Penn State in Columbus, and it's huge for a few reasons. One, you needed this win. Two, of of all the ways this game could go, this game went probably as favorably in the way of Ohio State in terms of who the quarterbacks were, who the head coaches were. So I guess we get to classify it as a quote-unquote good win despite the fact it sure as hell didn't look like it. Yeah, I know it was ugly. Um, I, I think there was a lot of conversation leading up to it, too, just about how this game was going to kind of come down to the defenses, both boasting really, really good defenses, and that it wasn't going to be your standard. You know, I think there's been a lot of Ohio State-Penn State games in the past where it's higher scoring, both offenses going down the field, and this year it was obviously much different. I, I Some people will probably call it Big Ten football. Um, I, I think, though, too, like you just talk about it being this kind of clunky game. That's just kind of been Ohio State this entire season. Like, they're winning a lot of games kind of clunkily. And to this point, they've stayed undefeated. We'll see what's in store down the the home stretch of the schedule here, Um, especially with that you-know-who, obviously, coming up in November. But, uh, yeah, I think this is just kind of what we've come to expect from Ohio State this year. And I guess on some level, Penn State was maybe the team we thought would be ready to put up a bunch of points because they've done it. But against inferior opponents, this was their real first test um, and it really was like sort of a, a battle of just defenses going at each other. And, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and it's great to see Ohio State get out with a win. But, yeah, definitely not the Ohio State we're used to. I like the word clunkily to 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 go ahead and describe Ohio State simply because, uh, well, on one level, it's correct. On the second level, it's not a real word. So, like, it manages <laughs> to kind of perfectly encompass Ohio State. We are and, two minutes in. We've we've already made up a word. We've made yep, up our own have. word for this podcast. I, I don't – no, no. I think the universe gave us that word because it perfectly <laughs> describes Ohio State to this point. And you mentioned the defense. Uh, JT came alive. The big man himself came alive late in this game in the fourth quarter. He was a huge difference maker. I, I, we're going to spend a lot of time on how they could have won this game probably by 20 more points. But I think if you got to start 
with the tail of the tape, you you go to the defense, and honestly, they gave up six points. The the late touchdown, I think Ohio State after the big touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr. that uh, put them ahead twenty to six. I I I think they kind of just went into prevent. This is what happens when you go into prevent defense, and yeah. I, I think it's almost unfair. Like it was the first fifteen conversions, Penn State was 0 for 15 on third down. So that's all you need to know about the way the Ohio State defense played. I thought they were putting some tough positions there. Maybe not as tough as the positions that Penn State's defense were. At one point, Penn State had spent one-third of the amount of opportunities in Ohio State territory as Ohio State had spent at Penn State and it really just comes down to a stifling attack by Ohio State's defense. JT was the man. They got consistent pressure on Drew Aller, who looked like a 19-year-old kid at points. I don't think it's all on that kid. I think he got failed by everything around him. But, I mean, that's, you know, it's funny, man. Like, we're going to do the Michigan panic meter here uh, towards the end of the show. And it's, I I don't know that this loss for the fan for Ohio State who wants to maybe start to run Ryan Day out of town. For the for the for the fan who says Ryan Day doesn't win enough or doesn't win big enough, this win probably doesn't do anything for that fan, and I maybe it doesn't even do it for the common fan. But the reality is, you should look at that defense and say it doesn't matter who you play, and maybe Michigan or maybe one you know one of the Georgia, maybe one of the big teams out there, playoff teams. It, it might be the uh, the. The exception, that's the word I was looking for. I almost said abscession, which would be another word that we would have made up here. But no, maybe maybe those teams will be the exception. But by and large, this defense is going to give you a chance to hang with everybody, and they showed why. Consi- not consistent pressure, good pressure, and then JT just took over the game in the, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think, too, you know, you bring up the pressure part of this, and that's been a thing the last couple of years where I've, I've watched this team and sort of wondered – where is this vaunted pass rush? I mean, you got guys like Jack Sawyer who came in and he was drawing comparisons to the Bosa brothers and he's going to be the next great defensive end to play at Ohio State. And we just haven't seen that from him. And there's games where you sit there and you you watch and you look at the stat sheet and you're like, Wait, where, where are the numbers from, from this group? Like, they're not getting pressure on anybody. If they're not getting pressure on the Purdue's and the Minnesota's of the world, how the hell are they going to get pressure in some of these bigger games where they go up against, you know, more superior offensive lines, which I thought coming into this game, uh, Penn State had that box checked. Like, I thought they had the better offensive line of the two. And this was one of the first times I really felt you could sense the pressure was there and constantly altering Drew Aller in the in the pocket. Um, you could – first couple drives, you weren't sure if it was just sort of first real big game moment jitters for, for him. Um, and I think, I think too, like Ohio State fans probably, especially here in Northeast Ohio where we are, Nick, there's probably some level of support or, you know, empathy. Not Maybe not empathy is not the right word, but there, there's there's some level of support for Drew Aller because he is a Northeast Ohio guy. So I'm sure that a lot of fans are watching through that lens of like, oh, well, hey, you know, I hope he, you know, has a decent game but Ohio State still wins. And he looked like he was having a miserable, miserable time. And And I do think it goes back to, again, like, just who Penn State's played to this point. This was the real first test for them and the real first test for him as a quarterback in at the college level. And yeah, from the jump, you could tell that they were really speeding up his internal clock, making him get the ball out quick, making him get the ball earlier than he was ready to and more than he was comfortable with. And he was missing guys wide. He was missing guys high. He was throwing balls in the dirt. Every pass you thought like, okay, maybe this is the drive where he finally gets it going and he's starting to hit these guys in stride. 
And it just never really came until, like you said, Ohio State was playing that prevent defense late in the game and kind of let him drive down the field and score that late touchdown, which was irrelevant at the time. So, but can I tell yeah. you, man, real quick here, I, I just this game to me was two coaches who were, I think, in some ways, of the same ilk offensively. That yeah. like James Franklin to me, I think he's a tremendous coach, tremendous CEO of a program. And if he ever just completely brought in uh, an offensive, like what he did defensively with Manny Diaz, brought in a real shot caller on offense and let them call the plays, I think Penn State would be a completely different team. Because and you feel that uh, you feel the same way about Ohio State, then, like if Ryan Day passed off the the play calling, you think I mean, that'd be Ryan, better for them. Ryan gets a little bit more of a break for me because he's he's actually won significant big games, yeah. but like just not the big game and hasn't beaten you know that other team from that's from that school up north <laughs> here in the last two tries. But like to me, the reason why I say they're the same is they just there's no identity for either guy. It is you know with with Ryan Day, you punt at uh, the 38, and yeah. then you have a chance to go, for, or then you have a chance just to take three points. To, to put it to seven points and then you go for it on fourth and two on a, on a, on a play that Penn state saw coming, uh, uh, you know, a mile away. Yeah. So, and then like with, with Franklin, it's like you, you, you got one of the most vaunted run games. A singleton is a dude and they early, they had a lot of success running off that left side because they have a future top three defensive tackle or sorry, offensive tackle, a top three pick in the NFL draft on the left side. And then James Franklin was like, yeah, I think we should throw the ball more. And it's like, so like, there's going to be a lot of Drew Aller criticism. And I think the Kyle McCord criticism is more fair, but like one kid's 19 playing in, you know, the place he wanted to play as a kid growing up and you're out here and being like, should we run the ball or should we let this kid continue to dink and dunk? I thought it was completely unfair. And again, neither coach has an identity. Right. Yeah. Some plays they're going to be super aggressive. James Franklin was aggressive with how much he threw earlier in the game. Basically, I I, I think hampered the kids uh, confidence. And then with Ryan Day, I mean, just that that fourth and two call I, I, again. It was awful. Like he, I, at I, least he stayed puckered, though. Yeah, right. Like at yeah. least he clenched. He never unclenched. James Franklin <laughs> unclenched too many times. I try. I tried to. I I wanted. I wanted to look this up. I got to do a deeper dive on this uh, before we record our our second episode on Tuesday because I would love to look up just the play calling that Ohio State's had when they're in the the red zone or goal go situations this year. I specifically went back to the Notre Dame game because I know they came up short twice at the goal line in that game because the play calling. And then the one the one touchdown they did score was because Notre Dame only had 10 players on the field. So they got kind of a gift there. Um, I just – I don't – and maybe this is just like my negative brain work kicking in, but I just feel like every time they're in those situations, they the, the play calling just leaves a lot to be desired. When it's goal to go or when it's in the red zone, the hard thing with college when I was looking this up quickly before we started recording was – they just count if you get any points in the red zone, they count it as a successful try versus like in the NFL, they do it based off of if you scored a touchdown or not. So they I do have it how it should be done. Yeah, exactly. So I have to go back and kind of vet it out and figure out like, okay, which ones of these were field goals, which ones of these were touchdowns. I didn't have time for that today, but I just, I don't know, man. Like I feel like every time they get down there, like they'll have these great drives where they get into the red zone and then all of a sudden it just gets shut down because of the play calling. And, and I agree with you. Like, I don't know what Ryan day's identity is from an offensive standpoint. I know that people say, Oh, he's this great offensive mind. He makes adjustments well and all these different things. And he does tend to, I'll, I'll give him this. 
when things aren't going well in the in first halves of games, he tends to come out in the second half and have some new looks, some new play designs that get guys open. And I think we saw that again today. There were some play designs that got Marvin Harrison wide open. He had the kind of the crossing Stover. route. Yeah, he had the crossing route. He had Stover open a couple times. And that, I think, took some of the pressure off of McCord because he was able to make easy throws on those. And then they moved the ball down the field. But again, even on those drives, I remember specifically the, the Marvin Harrison big catch. They get to the red zone and everything just went to put. And it was like, okay, what are we doing here? I, I don't know why he struggles in that area so much. But it's definitely something that he needs to get better at. Um, but yeah, can, can I tell you though? I think that's the catch twenty two. Because like I, I made the comparison. Listen, I don't think James Franklin should be calling plays anymore. I just I don't think you get to poo poo the bed the way he does against top twenty five and top fifteen and top ten teams just consistently and specifically Ohio State and Michigan, and and have what he did with Hackenberg. What I think he's doing with Drew Aller right now, like you just don't get to do that. Ryan has at least jumped up to another level. And to me, there's a distinct difference. We're seeing a different Ryan Day right now. And the difference is Ryan really has no faith in Kyle McCord. No. Or or maybe no no faith is unfair. Three timeouts with 42 seconds and he took yeah. a knee to go to the half. Like, what does well, that tell you? Well, but like he clearly doesn't have the same faith he had in C.J. Stroud and in Justin Fields and, you know, even when he was offensive coordinator. And honestly – I get it. I mean, you know, here's the problem with like Kyle, man, like he missed, there was one drive early in the first where guys were open and he had um, Carnell Tate over the middle and he threw it behind him. And that was yeah. an incompletion. Then he had Tate out in the flat. And if he just leads him he to leads the sideline, you're, you're getting a great play there. And instead he throws it behind him. And it's an incompletion. And you have to punt in, in a really nice situation. So like I, it's weird. Kyle, like Ryan I, I, Day, I think has to clench right now and coach clench because yeah. I just don't think he trusts Kyle. And he, from what I've seen from Kyle McCord, it's probably fair he doesn't trust him that much. Yeah, I think you're right in that he doesn't trust him. I think, and I've said this before, like Ohio State's in a weird spot right now because when you look at the year to year sort of progression or the year to year process that there's they sort of go through as they're building these rosters, right? Their plan was obviously okay, we have C.J. Stroud, he'll play two years, go to the NFL. And the thought was that this would be a Quinn Ewers-led team right now. Like, he mm -hmm. was supposed to be here. He Because he enrolled early, I think that just threw everything off with him because then he knew, okay, I sat behind him this year while I was kind of learning the offense. I'm going to sit behind him again next year. And he was like, by year two, I wanted to be playing. So he leaves. There might have been some other NIL stuff that was obviously involved in this. No, well. <laughs> no, never. The bag man lives. <laughs> but like, that's where you're at, right? Is their, their plan was they were going to have Quinn Ewers for this offense. So you're kind of making do with what you have if you're Ryan Day. And to his credit, like we can sit here and criticize him. There will be people who listen to the show that already have their minds made up about him and think he should be fired and are anticipating another loss to Michigan. And, and that'll certainly trigger a lot of people thinking he should be fired um we'll have our michigan panic meter later in the show to see where we're at with that conversation i guess um and you know that's that's fine but i will say like this year i think has been a test in his ability to adjust to not having the perfect situation not having the perfect prototypical quarterback that he's seen in recent years where his offense really thrived and listen to this point his resume in terms of a record and as the old saying goes you are what your record says you are is spotless. Like we can get on him and we can rag on him all we want, but he's now 29 and two at home. Um, he's also 
only lost six games in the regular season. So I, I can't sit here and uh, we can criticize him so much. We can say it's not enough. We can say there's a bigger standard out of Ohio State if he loses to Michigan again. But in the same vein, like he continues to prove us wrong. He continues to find ways to win. I think the the emotion he showed after that Notre Dame game this year certainly spoke to a guy who, yeah, he he is kind of feeling that heat. He is feeling that pressure from the outside of people constantly criticizing him. And he was really excited for the fact that his team went out there and won a game that people thought they were just going to roll over and die in and that they had no chance in and that he's he's winning differently. And I think that is sometimes the mark of a good coach, even if his play calling leaves a lot to be desired at times. Well, and I just think, like, listen, I, I think if if – James Franklin were a different coach. Yeah, we're probably having a different post game right now, but he's not. And I, I think, like, at some point, you know, the whole point was, well, the offense is going to lead to a loss. Yeah. Well, now you've had two real tests, the Notre Dame game and this one. And even though the offense didn't exactly acquit itself, like, you made enough plays to win. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I fought back vehemently. Uh, you know, Dustin has occasionally uh, my 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 92.3 The Fan uh, co-host Dustin? Afternoon Drive, Dustin Fox, <laughs> former Buckeye, former NFL former player. Former Ohio State Buckeye. Now I'm just name dropping people to help my own relevance. <laughs> but Dustin has, has compared this team to 02 before where it's like you just you don't have the same margin for error. So you have to win a specific way. The difference is that team had an elite running game. So yeah. you at least had that to fall back on if, if in Craig Krenzel just to not muck the game up and then you fall back in a great defense here. You know, my, my quibble with that is I don't think Kyle is elite yet. Maybe he could be one day. The offensive line had a couple moments in this game where we, we, Kyle actually had started to make a couple plays and the offensive line had a false start, a holding call, and then gave up a big third in our second and 22 or something like that. Uh, sack right up against your own end zone. So it's like the offensive line isn't great without Travion Henderson. Uh, like you're just, you don't have an explosive running back. Well, Hayden's not it's in there. Of, either, yeah, it's, but it's more of a power backfield without him. Yeah. And so he's, you're that, just... he's the finesse guy and the other two train them <laughs> and mine Williams are more your sort of bruisers and they just, they, they can't break off a lot of big runs that way. But I did think you bring up James Franklin getting away from the run. And I agree with you too. Like, they had that drive. I, I wrote this down. It was with uh, 5.15 to go in the first quarter. They had a drive where they broke off a 20-yard run and a 16-yard run, and then the very next two plays in a row were incomplete passes from Oliver. It was like, dude, you were moving the football. And I think in some ways yeah. you bring up them sort of being the same. I think Ryan Day did similar, made similar errors where he did have the run game start at work a couple times, and then he too went right back to the pass with Kyle McCord. And it was like, dude what are we doing here? Um, but you're right. Like, I, I think they shot themselves in the foot a couple times with some of these plays. Um, and I, I, the thing with McCord for me, there's moments like he made that one throw over the middle to Carnell to Tate. Tate, the yeah. perfect throw, the most, oh the God. best throw I've ever seen him make. I mean, yeah. that was a, that was a CJ Stroud level throw where you're yep. like, Holy cow. He fit that. And you're like, if he can do that consistently, like this, this offense can be okay. But the problem is, like, there for every one of those, there's like three or four that he just sees late. He's he's very late getting the ball out. Guys are open. Like, like there was a, I think it might have been Tate again on a seam route at one point early in the first half. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, if he throws the ball sooner, it probably goes for six. But he didn't see it in time, and he threw it late, and then it goes incomplete, and he was a little bit high on it. So I, I, I it's it's hard to get a read on him. You just kind of got to hope, I guess, that as the season winds on he gets better and better and feels a little bit more comfortable in the offense and they figure something out. 
you know what's interesting is is it's you're right he does hold on to the ball too long but then when he senses he's holding on too long he speeds up mm-hmm. and i think that just impacts that touch and that touch you know here's the thing you're very lucky that your next couple games before that school up north it doesn't look as daunting but I mean, I, I think this is a I think this is a moment for Ryan Day to try and build some trust with Kyle McCord because he doesn't have it now, and I don't think that's helping the kid. And again, Ryan's doing what's necessary to win, and I think you have to give him that credit. Like he can have his his issues as a coach. You you might have gotten beaten by a different style of head coach than you faced today with that exact same team, and he's still doing enough to win. So yeah. like. You know, you have to, you can accept all three of those things no, no matter how maddening. Now, in the next four games, you're going to have to walk the line of beating teams you should absolutely beat and just trying to get Kyle McCord opportunities to build that confidence and to allow that game to slow down because the game's going to get real, real quick towards the middle, middle to end of November there. And we're going to have more on this Ohio State 20, Penn State 12 in Columbus. Ohio State remains unbeaten. Penn State moves to six and one more on the Sons of the Shoe podcast. Nick Wilson, Spencer German. But first, a word from our sponsors. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Nick and Spencer back on the Sons of the Shoe podcast, 20 to 12, Ohio State over Penn State. And there was quite a ruckus in the first half. It looked like it was going to be a career defining mistake by Kyle McCord. Um, panicked a little bit after a couple of plays, got a strip back. Penn State players took all the way back, only, oh no, a defensive holding call to be uh, called. And I got to say, man, like the reaction on social media by like prominent college football analyst Barrett Salee. I'm not calling names. I'm just saying Barrett Salee. <laughs> Fixes in, and it's like, no, it was 100% a yeah. defensive holding call. And then, <laughs> like, what is it? I can't even remember how many plays later. Uh, you know, Devin Brown's in on a goal line package, and the whistles are blowing. The referees are waving their hands frantically. It could have been. It could have been a Texas-sized year in between the end of the whistle and when Devin Brown got thrown down, and they called a uh, 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 what was it unnecessary roughness, a personal yeah, foul yeah. call, and which again did it give Ohio State life? Yes, a hundred percent. But was it also one hundred percent the right call? Yeah. And to watch watch college football analyst just just lose like any measure of, of like, I'm not biased. I don't have my biases because, Oh, it's unfair. Ohio state. What got the right calls. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was the objective here. And like refereeing is bad in college football. It isn't the NFL. I didn't like, there was nothing 
in that in that entire game that I saw that rose to the level of mockery of officiating like I see every week every day every darn minute in the NFL I thought the I and overall you can quibble with a call here call there on either side I thought the referees played no part in the outcome of this game the mistakes that were actually there were actually called yeah listen on the broadcast I actually got a funny story about this um but real quick on the broadcast Joel Klatt, who I respect, I, I have a lot of respect for Joel Klatt. I think he's one of the better color analysts in the game. And I love Gus Johnson. I, I for, basically here I am just salivating at the mouth over the entire Fox broadcast crew. They're, they're incredible. Um, but no, they Joel get Klatt, paid enough. They get paid enough. They don't need to be paid. <laughs> they don't need my too. endorsement, right? <laughs> um, no, I, I, uh, he called it on the broadcast, and he flat out said, "Like, listen, that was that was the right call." And and and, and here's the thing: the story I have is this. So my my. I don't know if I should admit this on this podcast, but my parents are actually both Penn State alums. They hate the right. fact that I live in Ohio and more or less support the Ohio State Buckeyes. It grinds their gears. But Real quick, I I'm was... gonna need I'm gonna need their address and their social securities, but that's for <laughs> off air. All right, well, yeah, we'll share that off the air. Um, and my dad actually happens to be in State College like today. There's some event for like his his fraternity or something like that that's going on or whatever. So he, him, and my mom are down in state college. And so I was texting with him a little bit during the game, a little bit after I was kind of like, Hey, I thought Drew Allen was going to play better. Blah, blah blah. And he was like, well, that, that uh, defensive holding call that took the touchdown off the board was complete garbage. And I was like, dad, I was like, listen, I, I don't mean to sound like an Ohio state Homer here, but that was like 100% the, the right call. And his response was, well, the consensus is that it wasn't. And I was like, well, <laughs> of course, of course the consensus in state college, Pennsylvania was that it wasn't the right call? What else, like what else are they going to say? But no, it, it was it was unbiasedly, objectively, it was the right call. And if it happened to Ohio State, like does that suck? Yeah, I, like it's unfortunate. You don't want to see that happen to your team. It's a big momentum swing, and that's why I feel like it's easy. The refs have a, a, a an impossible job because in moments like that, you're you're paid and responsible for getting the calls right. And in that instance, they did. But yeah, when it's and it impacts a play of that magnitude, yeah, of course it's a big momentum shift, and you hate to see that. But I'm okay with the call as long as it's right. And in that instance, it was 100 percent right. I'm 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 right there. Well, and I also, you know, like I think there's a big issue with like when a call happens. Now in this in this case, this was a, a touchdown taken off the board in the first half of the game. But like the, the, always, if it happens late in the game, that becomes like a, a bigger a bigger deal. And I actually disagree with that too. And I like I won't go so far as to say nice things about officials, but like I, I think we've just gotten to a point in college, it's still acceptable that analysts and I, I, I probably am guilty too if I watch a BG game or an Ohio State game, <laughs> where if you don't like the the end result of the call, well then you got to question the call itself. No, I I think I think those were the right calls, and I think you start to look I, like to me. If uh, if if you want to make up for that call, if that call was so detrimental, then Daquan Hardy should have taken that or caught that punt instead of letting it roll. And uh, what was it? Murko's punt turned into a seventy-two yard yeah. punt, right? Yeah. If you if you don't want that, um, then you should have taken advantage, or rather, if you're pissed about that, take advantage of the uh, the Penn State punt going off of Fleming's leg that was recovered by Penn State, where the ball is a forty-eight, and you end up ha having to punt. If you don't like that, uh, double cover and stick to your coverage on Marvin Harrison friggin' Jr. <laughs> they did a great job. After that first, like, probably drive three, four completions, 
they did a really good job, even within that first drive, of buttoning up, did Penn State, on on Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. And then I don't know if it was just persistence by Ohio State. At some point, I think Kyle McCord was too locked on to, to Marvin, almost to Marvin's detriment, like a middle of the game, and he wasn't going to Carnell or Cade or or maybe even a, a underneath on the receiver, but like on the, the running back. But at the same point, like over the course of the game, they found a way to get him open again and just get him the right touches, including that big 18-yard touchdown that pretty much sealed the game with four minutes to go. Well, and that's where we talked about in the first segment, like just Ryan Day scheming guys open and making adjustments when things aren't really working. And I thought he – I really did think he did a brilliant job of that because, like you said, they started to shut down Marvin Harrison. They started to be more locked in on him. I know after that first drive, Penn State moved – it was it was uh, it was Kalen King the, that court the same corner that was responsible for the hold on Marvin Harrison on the defensive holding that called back that that brought the touchdown back. It was him who they actually shifted over to guard him. He was basically mirroring um, Marvin Harrison Jr. wherever he went for a little while there, and then they kind of went back to doing different things and bracketing him and all this different stuff. So I agree with you, but that's that's where I think Ryan Day does deserve credit is getting him open and scheming him open, especially late in that game. And he obviously gets the touchdown late, which kind of sealed the deal. And that was huge. Um, But, and I'll say this, like you mentioned McCord, maybe being too locked in on him. I, I, if the, if Ohio state loses now, listen, if they lose and he's just like flat out missing players who are wide open in the process, then like, yeah, he's going to get criticism. But if you go down with the ship and the, and the ship is basically, you know what, let's throw it up to one of the best players or maybe the best skill player on the planet right now in college football. I'm not going to necessarily fault you for that. Like, that's the type of guy who can win a lot of those 50-50 chances. He did a couple times today. And so I don't blame him for necessarily keep continuing to go to him. And obviously it paid off in the end. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think one of the best things about the the second half of this game and what when kind of kind of got comfortable was he was going to – this is what this game came down to for me, Nick, at the end. It was kind of a grinded out game, very, very close, one possession up until the final few minutes here. And mm-hmm. the difference became what I think the difference is in these two rosters when you look at them, which is you knew Penn State had a really good defense. You felt like Ohio State had a really good defense. You knew Penn State probably had the better quarterback, but you knew Ohio State probably had the better skill positions. Offensive line, you thought Penn State was probably a little bit better than Ohio State. They've had some issues running the ball. But I go back to the skills position thing. That was the difference. When Ohio State knew things were a little bit tight, they were trying to kind of find a way to milk the game and put it away and get out of there with the win. They went to the guys where their strength is, and that was the skill positions. It was Marvin Harrison Jr. It was Carnell Tate at times. It was Stover. Like when they needed those guys most, they started going to them. They started relying on them, and those guys kind of carried them across the finish line, which is what you expect from a team that has those types of players. So I, it's not that I disagree with you, but I also think it's that at no point did Penn State ever fall into where their strength was, which was, I, I mean, I just think that left side of Doesn't that Doesn't that go back to James Franklin, though? A hundred percent. And I think, you know. He overthinks it against Ohio State, I think. I think he just, yes. Like, I, 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 think, I, think, I think overthinking it's fair. I also think, quite frankly, like he doesn't have an ethos to fall back on. Right. Like he, you know, like in this game, I think he was like, you know what? I'm going to be aggressive and then I'm going to pucker. 
I'm an aggressive and I'm going to pucker. And it's like he was overly aggressive. You, either, you got to pick one. Early. Pick a lane. Pick a lane. Yeah, like to me, this game screamed, I'm going to come out. I'm going to run the ball early because I'm going to set the physical edge. And I'm going to use that left side of my line until they can't stop me. And then in the second half, no matter what the score is, I'm going to give the kid a chance. But and but not only did he not do that, he put all the short little you know, piddly stuff on Drew Aller's arm because he wasn't running the ball consistently and he wasn't winning the time of possession battle. And then he's not giving the kid a chance to go down the field. And it's like, you can't, you can't do both things. You can't expose the kid in the short passing game and intermediate passing game. And then not just give him something to say, you've got a howitzer. All right. One play. I mean, we saw that with the the, tight, yeah. the touchdown call back. One play can change the, the, the part of this game. And I just thought you never really deployed that. And I think defensively, you just never generated enough consistent pressure on McCord to get the absolute worst of McCord out. And I think McCord's numbers are a little, a little inflated. But who cares? Like, he won. And also, yeah. I, I want to make sure we give credit to this to the Sickos Committee uh, Twitter handle, who came up with, if we're going to call Maserati Marvin, uh, we got to go with Kyle, or what is it, the, the Honda uh, McCord, which <laughs> Honda McCord. is now. That's which is so now his, good. It's so good to me. Because oh, it's that, perfect. That, that is officially, we're, that is a staple on the show now. We're calling him Honda McCord. Yeah, yes. and I almost botched the delivery of it, but we made up for it because you bought into it, and that's all that really matters. <laughs> but I do think, like, you know, it's it's funny, man, to see Penn State come in here and and just play a weird game. It's just a reminder at how, like, there's just so many so many times you watch James Franklin and he's so close. He's so close. Not and uh, maybe not even to to truly winning, because he never had the lead today, but like he was so close to to getting to a moment where his team could carry him over the top. And just every time you think he gets close to the mountaintop, he slides back. And that is the difference between these two coaches, by the way. And, and listen, financially, there's a difference between what they're given. Um, you, It's a little bit, you can record it, at, or you can uh, recruit at a different level at Ohio State than you can at Penn State. But, like, the reality is, for all the people who have things, people who have things to say about Ryan Day, look over to James Franklin. Because that absolutely, yeah. that kind of head coach in Columbus would, would be – your rich rod. I I think um I I think you hit the nail on the head with this one, Nick, because um yeah, like may, maybe that's the mark of of what a good coach in college is. Like maybe you just kind of have to accept that at times not everybody can be Nick Saban who is nearly perfect with his decision making in every single game and everything always works out and he wins every national championship, but that when you put him when you put Ryan Day up against a coach like James Franklin, you see one guy who almost isn't ready for the moment it melts down and you see Ryan day who has a team that he clearly has prepared for those moments. And he doesn't just, you know, lose a grip of things and he, he, he finds a way to win. Um, and I think like feel is a big thing. We have that conversation a lot, obviously here in Northeast Ohio, talking about the Browns head coach and Kevin Stefanski, like feeling out the game. It's funny. We, we, the first segment really was centered around the coaches and we, we, we circle right back to it because I, I think like that is a huge key Ryan Day seems to coach with a lot more feel. He kind of senses things and he's like, okay, we need to get Marvin Harrison the ball more here coming up. Or, um, you know, the run game isn't working. What else can we do to kind of get guys open? 
and hey, do we want to punt here because we trust our defense, or do we want to go for the touchdown because we think we need points and we still trust our defense? Like just the decision making, he feels like he 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 goes off of how the game is kind of playing out versus James Franklin, who, like you said, he never found an identity. And and it was weird to me that to your point, like Drew Aller was struggling. What is the go-to thing when your quarterback is struggling? A young quarterback. You just run the football. And they were having yep. success doing it, which is the weirdest thing. Like, that could have calmed him down, could have had your offense moving a little bit. You might have been able to get yourself down into scoring range and maybe you get a couple more field goals and you make this game a little bit closer and you put more pressure back on Ohio State. But he just refused to do it. He just trusted that Aller was, finally, I have a quarterback that can do the things a quarterback's supposed to do. And what was the thing, too? I don't know where you were pregame, like what what – how you consumed the the early portion of the day before college football got going. But all over game day this morning, all they kept saying was Penn State has to be ready to take some deep shots because the, uh, Drew Aller hasn't done that much this season. There's been yep. a lot of dink and dunk, o- dunk over the middle stuff, and they're like, he's got to be ready to take some, some shots against this Penn State – or this Ohio State, rather, defense, and they didn't really do it all day. It, it was perplexing. Well, and I, it's, it's so funny you said that because every time – Every time I tried to really get myself too concerned about this game, I just thought about James Franklin and and in <laughs> these moments. And it sucks that I have to say that because, like, I again, I actually think James has become underrated with the kind of program he's built there. But I think it it it's always interesting to see what head coaches will do to succeed and what they won't do and what, what they believe is their core foundation, what they won't. And I'm – after seeing what I saw from Drew Aller today, the one, that kid walks, talks, looks like a future NFL oh, yeah. quarterback. Oh, yeah. And I, like today, I got shades of Hackenberg. I got shades of a kid <laughs> who has shown significant promise, you know, both, I think, five-star uh, recruits. And obviously, Hackenberg uh, went in there under Bill O'Brien. Franklin took over, and he just ruined the kid for uh, – through a myriad of circumstances, he ruined him. And I look at Drew Aller, I'm like, you better not. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, if I am every college football coach in a Power 5 Uh-oh. situation, I, if, I, I am, if I am Mac Brown post Drake May, if I am Nick Saban. Mm, you're I coming am, after him, huh? I am calling the bag man, and I'm saying, <laughs> go visit my friend Drew in, in, uh, at, at State College and say, and show him how we could use him. Because if he stays with James Franklin, James Franklin's going to ruin him. Oh, and I I would poach him if I'm Lincoln Riley post Ohio uh, State. Uh, they try to poach him. I mean, here's the thing: you're so. I mean, they they got another so quarterback in, coming. They got they got Aaron Nolan coming, but he's going to be a freshman. Like you're, that, that you're would be so, a guy who's already played for a year. And you're you're so deep in bed with McCord that I just think like, oh God. We're going to have another year of McCord. Is that what you're saying? But you know what, though? I don't think it's fait accompli that this kid's going to suck. No, because I don't think he sucks. He's just not great yet. And I think, and I'm not trying to make the Burrow second year LSU comparison, which anytime a quarterback isn't good enough the first year, we now do that. But let me make that comparison. Um, (laughs) I, I just think, I think there are certain kids that just the more time you give them in this exact scenario with the kind of weapons you can recruit, with the, you know, for better or worse, the kind of head coach and success that Day has had. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, I still think there's a chance that McCord could end up being better as the season goes on with, what, five games to go in the regular season? And here's why. 
You won this game without Travion Henderson. You won this game without Abuka. And you won this game where late in the third quarter, your red zone quarterback, Devin Williams, was hurt. Did I say that right? Yes. Where Devin was hurt. It's Devin, so Devin like, Brown. Devin Brown. Devin Brown. Yeah, yeah. you're okay. Now Devin Williams is a pitcher. But uh, <laughs> so you hurt Brown as well. So like at the same point, like, yes, okay. It wasn't pretty. The stats were a little bit inflated. But for the old Honda McCord, like once those guys come back, I think that's going to add a dynamic to the offense where it might not just be, hey, we're going to go ahead and throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. whether he's open or not. Guys, uh, we got plenty more to get to. We on the Sons of the Shoe podcast, the inaugural edition. We Am I going to get out of here without capitulating? Wait, would you like to capitulate? No, I was going to say, are we no. going to get? Are we going to? Yes. Is, is, is am I going to get know. out? Of, am I going to get off easy on this and not to capitulate? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> now you know what? Before we get to the Michigan panic meter, before we get to uh, fourth and uh, long, the next segment, the final segment of this, will end. Or begin, you know, it's going to begin with a comeuppance for Spencer German. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, Nick Wilson, Spencer German, Sons of the Shoe podcast. And before we get to the Michigan Panic Meter, which we will be doing every single podcast, before we get to love it, like it, or leave it, I think it's time for me to love it. He's <laughs> a little crow here now. Um, I admitted that I was pretty panicked heading into this Penn State game, and it was a lot about Ohio State, less about Penn State. But you were very confident, but not necessarily in Ohio State. Now, were you? No, no. I uh, I flat out on the air on Friday night, uh, filling in for our colleague Jonathan Peterlin. I said that uh, my my tease leading into it too was someone's winning by double digits tomorrow. That was what I said. Just left it mm. at that. And then I revealed that the team that was going to win by double digits was actually going to be Penn State. I, listen, I uh, I got to own it. I, here, what what I will say. As... Wait, no, no, no. Own it. Own it before you. What I will say. It. <laughs> okay. I own it. It was a terrible take. Um, I, I I went into it really thinking that when you looked at these two teams, um, Penn State, I, like I thought this was just fondly the year that they had Ohio State's number in terms of the talent. I understood skill positions. Ohio State was probably a little bit better, specifically at receiver. But then you looked at the injuries Ohio State had. No Denzel Burke. We weren't sure about him on Friday. Uh, Trevion Henderson, who didn't end up playing. Emeka Abuka, who was like sort of, in but not playing or he was they were talking about using him in certain situations but i don't think i ever saw him on the field um so like you, you put all that together it felt like the perfect storm for penn state to finally get over the ohio state hump I, i'm just gonna flat out admit it like i i drank the kool-aid a little bit there feeling like the the big thing too nick i'll say is in college football so often you see this game being about who and i guess you could say at all levels of football it's all about the trenches, right? And mm -hmm. I felt that 
Penn State had the better defensive front. They, they, they've been generating pressure like, like Mad Men this year. They got a couple guys who are probably NFL caliber pass rushers on that defensive line. And I thought their offensive line was better, whereas Ohio State's offensive line has struggled in the run game in particular this year. So I, I just felt this was the year, man. Like I, I truly felt this was the team because they didn't have the quarterback to sort of erase some of those problems this year. I thought it was the year that Penn State was going to get it done. But I, I'll give you the floor, and then I want to explain my the, the, the other perspective I have on this. So you're really guilty of only forgetting <laughs> one thing, and that is when James Franklin can James yes. Franklin. James Franklin <laughs> will most certainly James Franklin. So It's funny I, you say that because that was what, when we were having that conversation last segment, I was kind of thinking like, you know what, that is the one thing. That is the one thing I didn't mention when I when I made this prediction was James Franklin, just James Franklin's. And I, I put too much faith in him, clearly. But in the interest of full disclosure, and you ate crow, so this isn't me eating crow. But what I will tell you is I conveniently <laughs> forgot to give a prediction for Ohio State, Penn State, because in a gambler sense, this felt like a stay away from game. Mm. The only thing that felt like a certainty from the gambling side of thing was the under. Uh, we, we go the yeah, Iowa way, as it were. So that's the only thing that felt safe in the entire darn thing. But everything else, just in terms of predictions, it just felt like a game yeah. where I didn't have a great feel for it. So I guess you can't eat all that much crap, but I, I, I appreciate you eating at least enough to uh, to offset the, the double-digit prediction. I'm a big – yeah, I'm a big uh... – I'm a big proponent of, listen, when I have a bad take, eating I got to own it. And <laughs> not quite that. Nobody um, loves eating crap more than this more guy than right I here. Do. Yeah. More than me. at Spencito on uh, underscore on Twitter. Um, no, I, I, if I'm going to make a take, I got to be able to live with it. I've done, I've, I've had this happening before with, with, when it comes to Cavaliers and others and really like this year, and this kind of leads into my, my, the other part of my explanation this year, I've been kind of over with my Ohio state takes. Cause I said, after a couple games, I was like, this team's going to lose multiple games this year was what I kind of said. Cause I thought Notre Dame eh, ripe for losing that one. And they almost did. And then I thought this one and I thought Michigan. So they may get out of here unscathed until the Michigan game. We'll see. Um, but what I'll say too, Nick, and I said this on the air the other night too, is that as a, I, I think that the younger generation of fan, like millennial fans, a lot of older fans, they like live or die by the results of their team. It's like, Oh, if they lose days gone, like I'm, I'm, I'm upset and I'm not, you know, I'm not moving off this couch. I'm just a potato the rest of the day. And if they win, then it's like, Oh, I'm going to rub it in all my friends faces and they're celebrating and all this different stuff. Like their mood is impacted by it. I, as part of this younger generation of fans, I think that I have been sort of um, just conditioned to prepare myself for the worst. So I tell myself when it's a team I really care about, I tell myself and I get in my head of like, they're just going to lose, just accept it now. And then when it, when it happens, it won't hurt as bad. And then when you, if they win, then you're actually in a good mood because you didn't expect it to happen. So I think there was a little bit of that going on with this prediction as well. All right. So one millennials are no longer the younger fans. Most millennials are in their damn 30, Spencito. Well, that's All right. So okay, so, okay. okay. Oh, then so, I'll just say it's the millennial group of fans. Okay, thank you. Because there's <laughs> there's a generation behind us that is very much, uh, you know, nipping at our heels here. Now, well, doesn't that generation just not care? They're just like, eh, whatever. It's football. I think that's <laughs> exactly what everybody said about us when we were younger. Now, I'd like to get to the second point of that. You're an Ohio State fan. When have things ever gone poorly for you and your life? Like I have lived 
I, you know, Jim Tressel was, I was seven, 16, 15, 16 when Jim yeah. Tressel took over. And outside of the fickle year, it's been easy street. They've kicked Michigan's ass more often than not. They have, uh, they've won a couple national titles have been in the, the playoffs consistently. Like, I feel like this would be like Richie Rich being like, oh, remember that one time I was only but, a millionaire. But I think that the, the thing, if it's a good point. Like, you're right. <laughs> generally, generally things go well for Ohio State, but I also think that's the reason why I condition myself that way because for, listen, how many conversations are had on a daily basis about, oh, I don't want to see the college football playoff expand because these games matter so much. Every single one of these individual games matters so much for what's going to happen. And I think that's why I do it the that that way in my thought my the way that's the way my mind works because I'm like, well, this game could make or break the entire season, so I know it's going to hurt more if they lose. So if I just accept that it's going to happen, then I can just keep on living my life on the other side of this game, and I'll be okay in the long run. I think that's the way my mind works, and I only do that too. Like it's Ohio State, it's the baseball team I cheer for, and that's kind of it. Like the rest, I just kind of like you know, live in the gray and it's fine. But those are the two teams that I guess I just in that attached to that I care that much that I, I have to condition myself that way. It's the it's the only teams that are consistently successful. Meanwhile, it's time to get to <laughs> the Michigan panic meter. We will be doing this every single show here. And I will I can admit now there are five levels. Well, by the way, that. by the way, we're yeah, we're working on imaging for this. So mm -hmm. Today, Nick's going to describe it, and you're going to paint the kinda, word picture. Yeah, you're going to have to kind of picture it in your head. But the hope is for future episodes, we have an actual graphic that we'll have on the screen here. And well, for the podcast audience, you just to head to our social media handles at Nick Wilson says and at Spencito underscore, and you'll see it there so you can see where we were at this week. Or so each week. the Michigan panic meter consists of five levels. The least panicked is gray. The second least panicked is light gray. The neutral, neither panicked nor stoked, or wait, no, not panicked, stoked, whatever, is, is uh, <laughs> white. The uh, second most panicked level is light scarlet. And then the full-blown panic side of things is scarlet, full scarlet, blood red scarlet. And I will say I started the day at light scarlet. I had started to doubt Ohio State, and I needed this game to validate that they could win a game that uh, they should win. They should. They were the favorites, but that could easily get away from them. And they did pass a test today. And Kyle McCord, for all the things we've said, passed a test. They did not lose this game. In fact, they went out and won this game. So I'm downgrading myself from a light scarlet all the way to white. I am now neutral. Although if Michigan really puts the boots to Michigan State, or I, I reserve the right to panic is what I'm saying. <laughs> you always reserve the right to change your mind. Yes. Um, I would say I probably started the day. I mean, listen, if I'm, if I'm throwing out that they were going to lose by double digits, I feel like that probably explains where I was at. I was, I was you full fledged. I was full fledged Scarlet. Yeah. Um, and I would say I've kind of reverted back to where you were to start the day, which is more of a light Scarlet. I just, I mean, we know what the problem has been with that mission, what the bugaboo has been against that Michigan team the last couple of years. They just get out physical um and that worries me like i'm not saying to today i will say and why i'm willing to move off the scarlet a because they won but also maybe i would say like i'm in the lower end of the the light scarlet as well because i did feel like ohio state played a lot more physical today than i've seen them play in other games so i like that's encouraging but do i think it's enough still to to jump or leap past that michigan team i'm not quite there yet or convinced yet i mean and the other thing is 
we talked a lot about Kyle McCord on this podcast. We talked a lot about the offense and some of the issues that he's had moving the football down the field. Michigan is averaging 39 points a game, Nick, almost 40 points a game. Like, yeah, like their defense is going to be good. And they, like Ohio State might keep you in that game for a while. But we've seen Michigan put up points on this defense already, like we saw last year. And that worries the hell out of me that they're going to be able to just do it again. And Ohio State, in this instance, when you have C.J. Shroud, it's different. Like, you feel like you might be able to dig yourself out of that hole. I don't know if I feel as confident about that with Kyle McCord. So I would say so, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a light scarlet at the moment. Can I tell you this, though? Everything you just said was about Michigan and not nearly enough about Ohio State. And so it's, <laughs> it's not that you're wrong, by the way. It's really not. It is the Michigan panic meter, Nick. We're supposed yeah, well, to talk about context of Michigan. Guys, it's been two weeks here. All right, sorry, it's been it's been two games that Michigan's gotten the better of you. Before that, for 20 years, you beat the ass. Okay, you beat that ass. So uh, all I'm saying is, I don't once we once we got through a couple weeks and we saw who this team was, I don't think there was anything they could have done after the Notre Dame game up into the Michigan game where we were all of a sudden going to be sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops. But what I will tell you is they are battle tested. They they even though they're not consistently the most physical team, they do find physicality when it matters. And more importantly, they've passed every test. They might not have passed every test with A plus 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 like we're used to. Sure, it's it's a C plus or a B minus. But the reality is you're seven and zero. And I just I, I think if you're going into that game undefeated, like and you're going into it at light scarlet or scarlet. I think I think you're. St- I don't know you're giving this team enough credit. Now, with all this being said, we're going to end each podcast with a with a different bit. Post game, we're going to do love it, like it, leave it. I'm going to try in about thirty seconds on each one of these. I'm going to try and give you mine, and then you can give me yours. There, my first love it, or my only love it, is uh, Penn State going zero for fifteen on third down conversions until forty five seconds left. It, yeah, that to me huge. shows an outright ass kicking by the Ohio state defense. And we can, we can quibble all we want about, Oh, well, but they never went to their strength. And those are fair things to say that's on James Franklin. But the reality is the Ohio state defense played the game that was in front of them and led by our guy, JT and a couple other great performances. They kicked the Holy crap on the Penn state offense. Then to my like it, feel like I need like an impressive voice guy to do this. So I sound better, but uh, Jaden fielding going four for four on kicks until it didn't matter. He missed a field goal. Little late in that game. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. But I gotta say I was sweating, man. Like, what was it? A 39 yarder. I think there was a 40 yarder there. I was sweating some of these kicks and a kid went out there. The kicking game was going to be important. The Penn state kicker didn't really let him down either, but more importantly, you didn't miss a kick until the game no longer really was in in balance, and then my leave it. Quite simply, James Franklin's decision making, and just, I mean, I think Ryan Day is a little too conservative, but at least he is somewhat consistent with that. James Franklin bounces all over. The, I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to not lose this game. Meter. I think it was embarrassing, and I, I hate it for James. I wish he could figure it out so Penn State could be a worthy adversary. Uh, they're not. All right, I'll take the reins on this, um, and I'm going to start with my love it with a name that we actually haven't mentioned once today on the podcast and probably deserves more of, more more flowers in terms of just Ohio State this entire season and the success they've had, but also in this game specifically, and that is defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. This guy has completely turned this defense around from a year ago where they were giving up big plays. Um, he's disguising looks even better than he did last year. 
He has kept the the big plays from happening, and he has put together a group that believes that they can win any game that they're in. It's a super impressive group all around. I had some doubts, but I also knew going into the season that Jim Knoll, year two of Jim Knoll's defenses tend to be pretty good, and he is passing that test of flying colors like this. And that's the thing that's that that's a little unfortunate, Nick. Is like if you had C.J. Stroud still here, a hundred percent we would feel like this team is a bona fide national championship contender maybe even the top dog in that conversation because the way georgia's played in some games in michigan at times even though it will be they they get that test eventually but um yeah like this defense is certainly championship caliber my like it specific to the defense i want to say just uh, the the name jt to him to him he obviously was fantastic today that's why i only said my guy jt because i knew <laughs> if i tried it it was going to go pretty much the way it always goes. I'm pretty sure it's Tui Moalau, right? Tui Moalau. Tui Moloau. Moloau. Okay. Yeah. My bad. All right. We got well, it. I'm usually pretty good at that stuff, and I'm usually uh, proud of myself. I'm usually, for, for I'm usually pretty them, but, bad at it, but it's okay. Yeah. No, it's all good. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, he had a great game. He only had one sack. I thought he had another one for some reason, but I know he at least was making plays in the backfield. And I think to kind of add on to just his performance – the pass rush in general today, best I've seen from this team in a while, and I hope it's a sign of things to come because he sort of anchored it all, but all those guys, Mike Hall, um, obviously I, th- I think that Sawyer had some some moments as well, that entire group, uh, Ty Hamilton, um, Talik Williams, th- those guys were fantastic today. Um, and then lastly, my leave it, I- I'm just going to say the Devin Brown package. Leave it, leave it behind. If, if, if this was a road game, I would have said leave it in State College. You, you don't need it anymore. They talked about on the broadcast, too, like all they do is run out of it. They apparently have some pass plays in there, but all I've ever seen him do is run. And I just it's, it's, it's useless. It feels like they're just trying to give him something to do because they're like, oh, well, we feel bad you lost the quarterback competition. So, hey, here's this package with like nine plays, and all we're going to do is run the ball. And now you got hurt. So great. They're, they're saving the uh, Devin Brown pass package till the Michigan game. I think <laughs> it's just a deep state Oh, that's conspiracy. what it's coming out, huh? That's yeah. what it's coming out? That's well, going to be the difference in the Michigan game? This was uh, this was quite a bit of fun. Again, it's more fun because Ohio State won 20-12 at home. Uh, our next episode is going to drop Tuesday morning. Uh, we will, of course, be reacting to the full weekend of college football, the AP rankings, Ryan Day's comments uh, at the start of the week here. Uh, please, guys, it's our first podcast here. Uh, follow, rate, and subscribe on the Odyssey app, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you can get your podcast. You can find us at 923thefan.com. You can also find us on the 923thefan.com YouTube page. And uh, coming up, uh, once the playoff selections are out, we're also going to go ahead and uh, be be having an immediate reaction podcast during that as well. But during the week, you can find me, Afternoon Drive, 92.3 The Fan, 2 to 7 on the free Odyssey app. Uh, you can also find me on X and Instagram and pretty much everywhere at Nick Wilson Says. Spencer at Spencito underscore, because the underscore is meant there to throw me off every time I see it. Uh, Spencer, buddy. Honestly. Just thank God it was a win, man. Great stuff, yeah. buddy. And uh, hey, we'll be talking to each other on uh, Tuesday. Oh.